We are live. Ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between, welcome back to the Invincible FC podcast. Uh, And today we are discussing the aftermath of a pretty bloody Premier Premier League match week three. I knew I was going to get there eventually. Um, How are you doing, Josh? Uh, not too well after the results this weekend, I won't lie to you, but... I will completely concur with that sentiment. I was not necessarily looking forward to this episode. Uh, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I had a great weekend. <laughs> um, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard his voice. He's joining us today uh, and probably will be pretty consistently on the podcast for a while now. Um, Connor Crowley in the, in the flesh. Yeah. Winner of match week three's predictions, which is match week one of the competition year, since we didn't get started until this week because we just got the idea after match week one and whatever. Um, but I think have we have we broken down the rules yet of this competition for everybody? I don't know if we have uh, officially. No. All right. Well, so we, we we've got a couple things to address in this podcast. First, we're going to break down the rules for the, uh, the season-long Invincible FC competition. Then we're going to discuss uh, the Premier League match week three that we're kind of congregated here to focus on. And then at the end, we are going to have some brief words on Luis Rubiales and the situation around the Spanish Football Federation as it stands currently. Um, but let's get things kicked off with a little breakdown of, of how our competition is going to work this year. So as you all know, we're doing predictions right now. Um, if you and we're going to be predicting for every single match the the entire rest of the season, uh, so a correct match, like a fully like you get both teams' number of goals correct, all that whole nine yards, you just get it all right. That's three points. If you pick the winner right, that's one point. At the end of the season, player of the three of us with the fewest points going to have to order with their own money and then wear a jersey of their rival squad. So for me and Josh, it would be Tottenham. For Connor, we've elected to go for Manchester United because Everton don't seem to be quite relevant enough. Um, but that's just how it stands now. I mean, I'm not, I'm not from Liverpool, so my, my hatred for, for Manchester United is I've also never seen a relevant Everton squad. So my, that, my, that's so answer right there for the Everton side. My, my Manchester United hatred is much higher than my Everton hatred. Oh, right. I even had to root for Everton last year. I didn't want to see them go down. <laughs> I wanted the Merseyside derby. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Either way. Um, so that's kind of how we're breaking it down. That's that's how things are going to look in this competition. Um, it, it, it will get ugly. I promise you that. Especially if I lose, which obviously won't happen. Um, but I'm in last right now, so no comment. You're one of 36 match weeks. Well, you're ahead by a lot. Connor, as we'll kind of, as you'll kind of realize as we pick through these results, um, got 11 points from this past weekend. So without further ado, because we've wasted about three and a half minutes on an intro here, uh, let's, get, let's get going on how this week went in the Premier League. Um, Josh, I'll have you start us off on a discussion of Chelsea Luton. I don't know if you watched the match, uh, but what are your thoughts on this result? I watched um, more of the second half, I will say. I didn't see too much. It's as expected. Um, Chelsea obviously struggling to start the season. 
um, coming off of last season, they really haven't improved. And you did expect them to to win at home against Luton Town. I don't have too much to say about it. I think I had it as a 2-0, so very disappointed when Nicholas Jackson tapped home that third. But um, it could have been any of those results, really. And I don't. I really think it could have only gone one way. Yeah, I, I mean, all three of us had Chelsea to win, so I don't think that seeing Chelsea get get the victory in the end was much of a surprise. Yeah. Um, although I, I I will have to give him his his plaudits now while we we've got him here in front of us. Connor did pick three nil. So Connor, any any insights on how you got this dead on prediction? Um, I mean, not too much. I just I had a feeling like. Yeah, it's Luton at home for Chelsea at the start of the season. They have had their struggles, but I do think under Potch they'll they'll improve. And I I figured that this would be a good weekend for kind of like a coming out party for them, and they would get their goals. That was, that was my entire reasoning that they weren't going to lose, and you know this would be the weekend that they are going to score because they have too much talent. They're they're not going to suck every weekend. <laughs> I mean, they, they tried to last year. Yeah, they tried to. Yeah. <laughs> Lord only knows. Josh? Yeah, I think they needed this one to come early so they could really get some some their juices flowing, get some chemistry, yeah. some confidence. I'll in agree. Them. I'll agree. As a man who had a 1-0 Chelsea win, I thought this would, would be a sort of set the ball in motion type of match, but they really blew the, the door right off the hinges and uh, – Three 0 victory is a really good momentum point for Chelsea Absolutely. right now. So they, if I were a Chelsea fan, I'd be feeling good about that game. Um, a situation, I'm, a position I'm jealous of as an Arsenal fan. Moving on, um, Bournemouth Tottenham, a match that ended two 0 in Tottenham's favor. Uh, Connor, the only one who predicted this result correctly. Josh and I both had. Um, I had a draw, and Josh had a, a Bournemouth win. Tottenham end up with the victory. Uh, they're looking really fun this year, huh? This is just looking like a team that will be, as much as it pains me to admit, a lot of fun to watch. They're going to score goals. They'll probably concede a fair number of goals because I don't think their defense is amazing. But, um, yeah, Ange Postacoglu ball is is high entertainment. I texted you guys this weekend. I I said, you guys are going to hate to hear this, but I love Ange Postacoglu. He's I picked Spurs to get fifth this year ahead of a lot of teams that people would have thought would go ahead of them. I kind of anticipated Ange being a bit of a, an X factor and kind of a, a dark horse for this season. Y'all are getting way too ahead of yourselves. I'm not getting ahead of myself. I'm not saying like Tottenham is going to thrive this year, but I think it's, it's just such a switch from Conte who like was fun for all of the, like you know, the the fans yeah. of other clubs, obviously, yeah. <laughs> it was just so much drama, and just another excuse to really give it to Spurs. But I mean, if you're the fan base, I think it doesn't matter what place you finish from, as long as you don't get relegated. Like you're gonna have more fun this year than you did last year. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think they'll they'll have some, I guess, fun. You could say. Um, I don't know how it will be without Kane long-term. I, we'll see how they reinvest it. But realistically, like, they, they drew Brentford and then they won two matches they should win. Like, beating United at home right now is not actually the biggest deal. Hopefully, I don't live to regret saying that next week <laughs> I'm supposed to host them. But 
uh, that's not like the most impressive victory. I don't think they were that incredible. And then this week, they, I think Bournemouth, you know, looked pretty good against them. I for a decent part of the match when it was one nil, I think in second goal, Bournemouth were all over them, and they could have easily equalized. And who knows what would happen after that? I had Bournemouth winning the match. Um, it's not like a big surprise that Spurs won it. I just don't think they're. I haven't seen enough. I have to see a lot more. Madison's playing great, um, but I have to see a lot more from them. We'll see. One thing I will say about Spurs this season, which I think is big for them, is that they signed Basuma, and then Conte, it like wasn't his signing, so he didn't really use Basuma, whereas Hasekoglu, I think, has kind of made him pretty central to the team. And when I think, Josh, you at one point called Basuma the signing of the summer, when signed by Tottenham, because he was oh, signed for sure. very cheap, but maybe, maybe he was hailed as one of the signings of the summer when he went to Tottenham. Yeah, yeah. And I think the fact that you know he's actually being utilized is really going to do wonders for the team, and he's going to show that he is a brilliant player. Sure, we but all, we all thought thought that when he was at Brighton. I guess so, but so many players leave Brighton and, and flop. And I think he's another example of a player who would have been better off if he was still at Brighton to, to this day. I, I agree with you there probably, but he did look brilliant this past weekend. And there's probably more where that came from, fingers crossed not. Um, moving on, because we spent too much time on that match. A match that ideally we'll spend even less time on because, ow. Um, Arsenal won, or two, Fulham two. We all had a 3-1 Arsenal victory in this match, so nobody takes any points. Um, and it, it's a despondent group here. Um, oh, man, this was a tough game to watch. I didn't mind it. Um, <laughs> oh, that was rough, man. I, 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 think, I think, yeah, I, I mean, I think you and I are similar spot, Josh, where I've, you know, the less time we spend on this, the better. But at the same like time, you and I both have a lot to say. Right. Um, what I'll summarize my thoughts in very quickly is the the Arteta experimenting that has us like abandoning our kind of identity and playing with like six true midfielders on the pitch. It's just not working. Yeah, you know what I mean, Thomas Partey at right back is a move that a lot of like football hipsters thought was really clever two weeks ago. Yeah. At this point, it's washed. Like. With City, what we saw last year, I, and what I thought Arteta was doing was just switching the look. You know, City, what we saw last year, they, they didn't play the same formation, the same lineup any two weeks. It was always different. And now it's just the same friggin' idea with, like, low efficacy rating, and it's not great. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with everything you said there. It's, it's just an experiment that's just gone too far. I think – Arteta's a genius, but sometimes there's such thing as like being too much of one where you just overthink things and every, you you know, you have to make everything perfect. You have to, and then that goes out the window when you concede a first minute goal and they do that consistently now. And that's a big issue um, because of a lapse in, in, you know, a mental lapse that they just continue to have. And when you are, um, when you're, you know, playing a system that you've never tried before, and trying to like make it perfect, it's not going to be. And there's no reason to do it because Arsenal was on the verge of winning a Premier League title last year. The only reason they didn't is A, experience, you know, youth. They didn't have experience. Now they do. And B, depth. And now they have more depth. 
you know, I, I, I'm, I've been criticizing a lot of the spent, the, um, business they've done this summer. I think it's been actually a pretty disappointing summer in terms of business. I think, uh, loaning Kieran Tierney is the recent, the recent most ridiculous move of, oh, um, third. yeah, but like, yeah, the experiment needs to end, you know, bring Ben White back to right back because yes, I know you, you know, Gabrielle should be in the middle and, and you've been very vocal about that, but I think it's more important about moving Ben White back to right back because of his combination with Saka and, and that lacking this season is a big reason why Arsenal has just been completely, uh, you know, lacking in uh, creativity and fluidity in any of that. Um, Arsenal is just not creating much. They really aren't compared to last season. There's no, there was nothing to fix in, in terms of that. The only thing I said to fix is, is depth, and they did that. And now they're trying to fix other areas, which is unnecessary because it worked last year. It really did work. And they have to go back to that. And Havertz shouldn't be starting. And they, you know, tried the error. They should be trying Neil Smith Rowe, but it looks like he might be out the door. So there's just a lot of issues going on right now because of the way they've handled business. When it comes to Havertz starting, do you guys think that this is a a little bit of a, you know, we have this expensive signing over the summer. We bench him already and kind of admit that he's a little bit nope. of a bad signing? No, I don't that. I think watch they do. Me in, watch me come in with a crazy take. I think people have unanimously written Havertz off already as not a good player for Arsenal. I don't think he was bad week two at all. Week one, he wasn't great. This past week also wasn't great. But week two, he played phenomenal. He won the most duels out of any player in the match. And I thought he was fantastic week two. And well, at the bare minimum, you have to agree that he was good. That was a good match for him. I'm not saying he wasn't. I'm just saying I don't really care about the the dual stat. Like when he's when he's limiting the team and when he's taking away a lot of the creativity of the team and and you know trying to fit him in is is just harming the team way more than it's helping it. Then he shouldn't be in the team. I mean, he's. It's, I, it's, he, I just feel it's too early to say things like that. I think Havertz could think still try to, to be occupy a valuable too many player. spaces that are already occupied i don't disagree with that i think he's still finding his role especially if you have trossard on the pitch going to drop deeper there's so many options also plays in between okay so well if we're being realistic here trossard if if he's getting minutes it should be on the wing because eddie and ketia should be playing striker when gabriel jesus is not fit Eddie and ketia should be our option he shouldn't be coming off there shouldn't be any messing with that He's the only true striker at the club, including Jesus, who is really more of a combo kind of player. Um, and he he does his thing. You know what I mean? People criticized him for, for missing chances, but people have not talked about the fact that Holland missed three chances, including one that was a penalty against Sheffield. Good strikers miss chances. It happens. Eddie has scored goals already this season. He won us the penalty in, in – um, the match against Crystal Palace where everyone was like, oh, he wasn't so good. Like, he was the reason we scored a goal. He should have taken the penalty. There's a lot of this. I I just feel as though sending Kieran Tierney on loan when you're starting Jakub Kivior at left back and benching Eddie and Ketia uh, and then bringing him on against Fulham and he plays great. You know, it just – a lot of it doesn't make sense to me. I agree. But what do you do with Emil Smith Rowe? Does he get any minutes? Well, Emil Smith Rowe has deserved minutes for weeks now. 
Yeah. Neil Smith Rowe has deserved minutes for weeks now. Fabio Vieira gets the look both times as a sub. He did play well. He and he's he played, done. He's he done well. Great. He's done. Great. He brings Odegaard off. Arteta brings Odegaard off, and like immediately after we go up, or pretty shortly after we go up in the match this past weekend against Fulham, they score, and now all of a sudden, fucking Jorginho is on the pitch, mm-hmm. trying to play like a goddamn. A, a pressing like a offensive eight. Mm-hmm. Emil Smith Rowe is a fresh set of legs who's willing to do defensive work. Who's going to be a lot more valuable in that setting, and he just doesn't get the look. It's it's idiotic. It doesn't make any sense at all. He's the guy that should. Years ago, he was our top scorer in the league. He scored ten goals. Yeah. He's the one who should replace Xhaka. He's the one who can do all of what Xhaka did. Maybe not as well because Xhaka's naturally made for that for that role, but. I mean, the way Jacka moved forward, like really far forward a lot of the time, that's what Emil Smith-Rowe can do and can offer you. And he can offer you so much more than that. Um, but this just goes back to the point that there's so many better options in Havertz. I mean, you can go with that eight role where you can go um, either Emil Smith-Rowe, Vieira, Trossard, um, I might be missing one, or you can put Partey there, or even Jorginho. And then maybe you put Havertz there. I just I didn't understand the signing in the first place. And now, yeah, it feels like they're just trying to avoid a sunk cost fallacy. But you know, it is what it is. Get over it and move on. I, that's that's my. Well, they're, not, they're not avoiding the sunk cost fallacy. Fallacy. They're they're diving yeah. full, yeah, full yeah, head yeah, on into it. Engaging in it is sunk cost, and they hey, won't accept. Look, I do think that the answer is is to to bench Havertz this week. I do think that uh, against mm-hmm. Manchester United this Sunday. We need to see a proper back four, and none of this Jakub Kivior nonsense. Start Zinchenko, who knows how to play left back and invert like a normal person. Um, and then Thomas Partey, uh, Martin Odegaard, and Declan Rice in the midfield. I think Declan Rice is the unsung hero of Arsenal so far this season. He's been quietly doing his job really well. And people have been focusing on the problems because the team hasn't been playing great, but Declan Rice has proved himself very capable of being that, you know, five-tool player, to use yep. an American term for it. Um, he He's awesome. He's great. He's great. And that's what we should do. It should be the exact same lineup as last year, except in Ketia for Jesus, because unless Jesus is healthy, and um, and Rice in, instead of Xhaka. Yep. That should, that's – it's, it's a pretty easy answer mm-hmm. if you ask me. Moving on, we're going to speed run through a few matches here uh, just because they weren't all really that interesting. Um, and we want to get to Newcastle-Liverpool, which has a lot of talking points. So let's bounce along. Um, Brentford-Crystal Palace. Anyone got something to say about this or we can we kind of scroll past it? Uh, no. No. I ended, ended a 1-1 draw, so I, Connor got a point. I don't think I watched it was boring. Um, Everton Wolves, we all picked Everton to win 1-0. They lost 1-0. I think the, the Wolves being pulled off of everybody's eyes about how Everton was going to be Sean Dyche's compact team this season. They still have room to battle, but, I mean, zero points out of your first three games is not a, is not a goal score. It's, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good for them. They They are in a situation where I know that they're, like, in a pinch for financial fair play rules, yeah. but they need to think about bringing in an attacker who can score goals because they are, they, um, uh, they are f-worded. They are in a really bad place. Um, and, 
it's not pretty for Everton fans. They almost did have a goal. I will shout out though. Jose saw was already a contender for save of the season. Yeah. I don't know if you saw it. That's all I got on that. I did not see that. Pretty spectacular save from Jose Saw. He's falling um, well defied physics. In a will be we trust. Uh moving on. Sure. Man United versus Nottingham Forest. Man, you pull out the three three two victory after conceding twice in the first five minutes of the match. It was a really, really dramatic one. A lot of not so fun to watch. Uh for non Man United fans. You two both get a point out of it. I picked it to be a draw, so I get nothing. Um that was a tough match for me because I watched the game, or I didn't. I, I think I actually watched that one either. You were watching Arsenal, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I was. But I saw the score of the game, and a part of me was excited because I love when Manchester United lose. But then I thought about the predictions, and I did predict Manchester United winning. And that's going to be tough throughout the season because inevitably Manchester United have to win games, even though every weekend I hope they lose. Yeah. That yeah. we're going to be facing conundrums like this quite often, I think. Yeah. Um, Josh, anything to add? Um, I mean, typical United getting over the line, just like in week one. The fact that they're two and one is pretty unbelievable to me because I think they're out. They, you know, have played poorly in all three matches, and a fourth, if you include their behind closed doors, three nil defeat to Burnley. Um, they're in trouble, and we'll see what happens at Emirates. But um, they got very lucky to get over the line. That they did. That they did. Um, Go for us. Brighton losing 3-1 to West Ham. What the heck was that? Um, Brighton, a team that looked fantastic through weeks one and two, proving that everything we're saying right now could be wrong by the next time we podcast. <laughs> well, not the next time, but the next time we do a weekend review. Yeah, I think that's just law of averages, you know, regressing to the mean. West Ham's had a great start of the season. Brighton won their first two matches, and, you know, as bright as Brighton often are um, and are looking going forward, they're going to have games like this that are just going to kind of push them back to earth. Um, and it's going to happen occasionally. They're still going to have some inconsistencies that's going to separate them between, you know, other Champions League level clubs. Yeah. I wouldn't quite put West Ham at Champions League level. No, I'm saying separating them between, like, finishing in the Champions League. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. yeah. But right now, West Ham is the best team in the Premier League, so who knows? Yeah, I picked them to get relegated, you know. <laughs> no, Ward-Prowse was looking great, right? Ward-Prowse was a sharp and piece of business. Paqueta is a fantastic player. We'll see not how signing, long he's on the team. Not signing um, Harry Maguire was a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Paqueta, well, that's did, his he, did they not sign him, or did Manchester United not let him leave? Well, he's still on the market, so I think they just didn't sign him. Uh-huh. I I picked him, I, I picked him to be there there one to watch and the signing in the summer for West Ham because I thought it was a sure thing. Yeah. But it wasn't. It was so sad. I thought he would do well if he went to West Ham. Me too, because he plays well for England. We're we're we're, we're, we're up on Maguire stocks if he moves. Yeah, you guys are. Shut up, John. I'm on the um, train. <laughs> watch him at England. He's so much better. <laughs> hey, shut up, Josh. Uh, all right, cool. Moving on. Burnley versus Aston Villa. Uh, guys, what happened to the Burnley we were promised? It's been two games. They played City and Villa. Josh, they yeah, suck. I'm just saying, you're right. Uh, I I'll tell you, they they have looked miles better than both the other premier, the other promoted teams. Obviously, Luton down, but 
Um, Sheffield United, despite nearly getting something out of the City match, uh, looked horrible. Like they 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 did not look like a Premier League team. Burnley looked like a Premier League definitely team. didn't look like a Premier League team against Forest either. Yeah, oh my God, that first half against Forest, Sheffield yeah. United versus Forest, it was shockingly bad. Yeah, they're staying up. They are not staying up. They're staying Sheffield up. Um, Sheffield is staying up. But Burnley, I think, just looks so much better. Like they they just they're exciting to watch, even when they're conceding goals and losing. Like. They're, they're getting chances. They're creating. They, they have a lot of individually great players, and I think that's just what separates them and the other two and the bottom three. Yeah. Um, that's pretty sound logic, to be fair. That's how cool. that. um, I, I Yeah, I'm excited to see what they end up with. But I do want to see more action from Burnley. Um all right, another match that I, I think was a little bit different than everyone but me expected. Um, Man City 2, Sheffield United 1. If Sheffield just hadn't scored, I would have gotten three points out of this game. But dang it, they did. Um, uh, not really the blowout that it was billed to be. As I discussed earlier, Holland missed a few pretty key chances, including a penalty. Uh, that would have seen given this game a very different sort of complexion, but the way it ended, it is leave some things to be thought about both squads. So I saw a thumbnail for a NBC Sports video that was titled um, "Will Man City Have a Cakewalk to the Title?" And yes, they did have won their first three games, but. Two of them have been against promoted sides and sides that very well could be relegated at the end of the season. They did win at home against Newcastle, but it was at home and it was a one nil and it was not like they dominated the whole time. It was pretty boring. It was just fought in the middle of the park the whole time. Um, I wouldn't say like Man City controlled the game, but they didn't really dominate Newcastle. Like, Yes, Arsenal has stumbled a little bit at the start of the season, but I think that's just down to Arteta overthinking things. We really don't know how good Liverpool is going to be. They could be good. They still could fall apart this season because the defense is shaky. But I don't think Man City is going to have a cakewalk to the title. They don't look that strong, even though they've won all three games. That's how I feel about them right now. I agree, and I, I don't think they're going to win the title. But that's a story for another day. I've talked about that before as well. Um, the thing about this match, this was about the most one-sided one-goal match I've ever seen. Um, obviously, like Sheffield had nothing on them; they were just parking the bus. It was, it was a very Sheffield United-like performance where they just, um, you know, they just parked it in. It was a very Brexit style, like shit house, try and get over the line. Holland scored. I will refer back to my predictions at the beginning of match week and what I said as to what this game was going to be and how Sheffield were going to hold the scoreline as they did. True. They did. But then they choked again because fucking Rodri had to to change everything. But Rodri's the worst. I hate him so much. But you know you know what's ridiculous is once City scored, I'm like this match is over. I I, I flipped on the villa game um, watching my dad um, I, I check the score. It's one, one. I'm like, Oh my God, switch it back. And my dad has to go back and then rewind to the goal 
just and I'm I'm like, no, do not rewind right now because they're gonna score by the time we we go back to live. And what do you know? He goes back to live and it's two one. And I was fucking up, so upset with him and more more so with Rodri, but it was it was brutal. It was brutal. Josh striking the, the key picture of a suburban kid. Dad, change the channel. <laughs> What's wrong uh, with you? It's exactly what it was. And it was, not, it, was not, it was not a fun Sunday morning for me. Let's just say a bit of a roller coaster one, but didn't, didn't turn oh, out. Oh, man. I was so excited at the idea of Sheffield taking points off the city, or at least a point, but didn't happen. Um, they were awful. I'm sorry. Moving on to because I just don't want to talk about this anymore. Um, moving on to the marquee match of the weekend in pretty much every respect, uh, in competitiveness, in talking points, in profile of team. In the end, Liverpool come away with a 2-1 win uh, with 10 men from 28 minutes. Uh, this was a, a proper Newcastle performance in every way. Uh, Anthony Gordon scored the first half's lone goal, which was a, a pretty impressive run by himself, slotted at home past Allison. Uh, and in the second half, Darwin Nunez scored twin goals to uh, win inside the match. A uh, really well-thought-out impact sub from Jurgen Klopp. Um, yeah, well... I mean, there's a lot to talk about from the first half, particularly from one player, Trent Alexander-Arnold, who probably shouldn't have been booked in the first place because I'm pretty sure he was fouled in, in that first yellow card, but absolutely right. should have received. said he control. should have been sent off. I, if I hear another commentator, or just anyone talking about the game, said he's lucky he wasn't sent off. He, he was lucky he wasn't sent off. He, and he, I will stick by my belief that Anthony Gordon is lucky he didn't get sent off because – he had that completely unnecessary shoulder into the back of Trent. And then when he gets fouled, he does the sending off gesture towards Trent. And he flopped on that play. That's two yellows right there. Generally, so generally my, that's my two yellows. But, and if he was, and if he had been booked for it, he wouldn't have done that probably. But I, I all I'll say is the second yellow was abs or this the second yellow that was not given was absolutely a yellow card. Um, the first, no, yeah, the first one I you can argue. What? I, I do not think the second one was even a foul. He stopped a counter Trump intentionally. What? He stopped a counter attack intentionally. Trent barely touched him, man. That's besides the point. He took Gordon him down. feels contact, the slightest bit of contact on his shoulder, and he goes down. <laughs> that. Uh, that was about five times worse than Tomiyasu's, I'll say. Um, I know Tomiyasu's wasn't a yellow card, but that one absolutely was, I think. Um, regardless, uh, that's not that didn't contribute to the result anyway, right? Yeah, all right. I will say, because now that we're talking about yellow cards, yeah. I want to go on a little bit of a rant about the amount of cards that have been given out in the Premier League. Are they trying to shoot themselves in the foot? Because they're adding minutes to the game. They're adding minutes at the end of the game, and they're including more yellow and red cards into the game. Their players are going to be screwed. What are they trying to do? Like, I understand if you want to cut down on time wasting, I think you can either add minutes at the end or you can give yellows. Mm -hmm. If you're going to double down and punish teams like that, 
you're ultimately kind of only playing into the larger team's hands again, the big six, because they do have more subs and they do have deeper pockets to get more talent in to cover their asses. But I don't know why they're doing this. It's They're just going to hurt the players in the long run who are playing more and more games every season. And if we're adding more minutes at a higher intensity level, there's just the injuries are going to be horrible. Yeah. There've already been nine red cards. That's absurd. Yeah. In three weeks. It makes the game less fun to watch. Except for this game. Makes it interesting once, once someone's playing with 10 men, but yes, it, it definitely changes the match and it makes it more about the referees again. No matter what, it settles the game down. Mm-hmm. Mm, it always settles the game down. Until and the mad dash at the end. Yeah, well, the mad dash at the end is always the best. But it definitely settles the game down. There's a lot of of frustration from, from my part about the role of the referees and the quality of these officials because they are horrible. They're well, just so bad. That's like, I don't another even... thing is that they don't use – VAR to set a standard. You know what I mean? Where VAR, when they're confirming a call, they should be confirming that this is the call they are going to make if they see this happen every single week. They should be confirming that this is the standard we are setting for this type of play. And that's not what they do. They go to confirm, oh, he called a foul. Was there contact? Was this justifiable by any means that he made the call that he made on the field? So if they see any contact, the foul is going to stand. Yeah, if they no... don't see contact, then it might be overturned. But that's not how they should be using the system. There's no consistency to it. I agree. There's, there's no precedent. There's no consistency. It's not, it's, not what, it's not what it could be. It's not what it should be. Yeah, I don't. I don't think anyone would really say much else about it because that's just kind of how it is. Yeah. Um. Absolutely. If I can, just kind of pull us out of of the red card rant, and this is probably going to be cards in general. Okay. Well, we're going to call it the red card rant because that sounds better. The alliteration is cool. Um. And Connor's, Connor's weekly red card rant is going to become a bit of a thing. I think, dude. If it keeps um, up like this. Just it, when it happens to any team, I'm going to get mad. Like, All right. Well, it, there's going to be red cards every week now at this point, so we can pick the worst red card of the week, and Connor can have a red <laughs> card rant about the red card of the week. Um, this, this will be good. Connor's red card rant every week. Oh, I can't wait. Um, but on to cheerier topics for Connor, at least. Um, Darwin Nunez. Darwin Nunez looked phenomenal. I mean, this was – I mean, he didn't – he didn't do what he really usually does. much wrong. He just kind of got on the pitch, did his job, got in scoring position, and slapped the ball home when he had the chances. So I, I mean, I well, he's he always wrong. gotten himself into scoring positions. Yeah. But he's doing the thing that he didn't quite do last year, which is finishing those scoring chances. Put the ball in the back of the net. It's a good thing to do. And an I know it doesn't mean much, but he did have a good preseason. And he means – um, and yeah, I think the fact that he scored two wonderful goals to start the season is nothing but positive for him and the team. I would like to see him start week in, week out. 
because I think he adds more width to the field going forward. He stretches and he stretches the field. We have a lot of ball carriers in the midfield who don't necessarily need Gakko dropping back to carry the ball forward. Like Sabasai and Pekalisar are more than capable of carrying the ball forward. And then you also have Diaz on the wing. Having Nunez as the threat to come in behind I think is terrifying for defenders. Gary Neville himself said he would way rather face Gakpo than Nunez. Nunez is just a terrifying player to go against because he will make those runs behind, and he is incredibly fast. I would like to see him start weekend wake out. Yeah. Um, he's, he's definitely earned his starting spot next weekend. Um, and yeah, he is a great player. He just, he just was not consistent in front of goal. He was missing a lot of chances last year, but so do a lot of players. But yeah, he, when he would get on the field, there is not a single game where he didn't have an impact. I agree. I agree. Last year. He I agree. may not have had the final product, but he made the team. Yeah, and now it's showing. And now it's showing. Yeah, and now it's showing in this one. He, he, he looked great off the bench against Chelsea, I won't lie. I didn't, I didn't see what he did against Bournemouth much, but, um, but yeah, obviously he changed the game. When, once it was 1-0 and then the, uh, the red card, which, by the way, I do think is a red card. Um, he, uh, harsh. Sorry, it's harsh. Um, I, I thought this, this match was over. I thought they had no chance of getting back into it, and, and you know, Newcastle had the fans on their side. I did say I thought Newcastle, uh, St. James Park would be a fortress. It wasn't, um, and I don't know if that's as much of them choking as, as it is just a great, you know, great substitutions by Klopp and, and a great comeback from Liverpool. I think it was more the latter. I think uh, there's just a lot of resilience there. Um, I do think it worked out. We were very lucky that Darwin did not start that game because, say, we were in that position of having Darwin. He probably would have been the player to come off because the reason initially I thought Gakpo should come off and not Luis Diaz. But I think looking back on it, what Klopp wanted to do was play them in the 4-4-1. And Gakpo is the better player to put in a midfield. I think he is going to be like, he has more experience playing in a midfield position than Luis Diaz. And I think he's going to have a higher work rate on defense. Um, So that was very intelligent for him to be able to do to get this very compact 4-4-1 and then unleash at the end. And it just happened to work out. But I do think we're not going to count on getting a red card every game. So Nunez should start. Absolutely. Um, Now that we've kind of addressed Liverpool and how good they were, I'd like to get some takes on Newcastle because it's quite interesting to me that they've started the season one and three or one and two, pardon me. Granted, those two losses are to Man City and Liverpool, who are like probably two of the three best teams in the league right now. Um, but at the end of the day, this this is the level that Newcastle is aspiring to be at right now, right? I mean, because they finished fourth last season, their their goal this year should be probably try and finish in the top three. Like that's not unrealistic for them to think. I know a lot of people are expecting them to fall off, but I mean, I think if you're a Newcastle fan and you're an ambitious human being, mm-hmm. you're disappointed right now because both of those matches should have been games that they competed in better than they did. And I, I you know, I know that they had a chance to win the, the game against Liverpool, but 
I mean, even I mean, disregarding that fantastic Allison save, which was fantastic, that was I thought thing. Liverpool had the better match kind of throughout. After I the mean, first half hour, they um, needed to readjust, and they did well. But yeah. I thought Newcastle were all over them to start with. I but, thought it yeah, was. I mean, in a way, Liverpool was kind of playing into Newcastle's hands by coming out so high energy. Because yeah. that's what Newcastle is going to thrive off of, especially at home when they have the crowd behind them. Um, they're a team that likes to play at pace, just like Liverpool do. But once Liverpool took the pace out of the game and said, break us down, they couldn't really do it. The one time where I, like, aside from the first half and the second half where, like, my heart left was Almiron's miss off the post. Yeah. But other than that, we didn't create much. True. Uh, and yeah. yes, yeah. that's credit to Liverpool. I think we did a really good job of, you know, making the field smaller and just telling them, you know, break us down. But ultimately, Newcastle couldn't break them down. Right. Yeah. No, you're right about that. I, I, I think they played, you know, well besides the final product. And maybe they didn't create enough chances in front of goal. But, um, but, you know, before that comeback, before Nunez scores that equalizing goal, like, you know, you're thinking Newcastle is is contender right at the top of the Premier League. And then those two goals go and suddenly they're one and two and we're looking at it very differently. But um, but long term, when they play all nine, all 19 teams like it, they're going to be probably, you know, closer up there because they've lost narrowly to two of the three best teams in the league. Uh, and they they ran through, you know, a top probably eight team in the Premier League. So um, we'll have to see. To I be fair, they have also lost to three brilliant goals. Julian right. Alvarez also scored an incredible yeah. goal. Yeah. So, I mean, that's an unlucky break there. But Yeah. I, I, Newcastle, you're prone to that style of unlucky break. Right. Yeah, and I, I just think – this, this is this is big because I think like before this I was saying Newcastle were title contenders and now they've lost to potentially a fellow title contender and and you know when you're competing for the title every point counts so um, that is big for them but I think long term they're still gonna be fine in terms of competing for the Champions League. That's probably pretty fair. Um, we'll see what happens. I'm curious to see who their biggest competition will be. Um, moving on to the last bit of the show, uh, we have to quickly discuss something that's pretty serious and something that we haven't touched on yet on the pod that, that, that Connor and I agreed before we, we pressed record tonight was, was worth bringing up. Um, president of the Spanish FA, Luis Rubiales, um, currently under significant pressure from pretty much every angle to resign from his position and is completely refusing to do so. Hold it, Jordan Belfort. I'm not fucking leaving. I'm not leaving. Um, For those of you that don't know what happened, Rubiales kissed one of the Spanish women's players, I, I believe it was Jenny Hermoso, Smack on the lips after they won the World Cup. Uh, grabbed her by the head and pulled her in too. 
it, it was if you it's if you watch the video, it was very aggressive. It was yeah, it, it's a bad look. And in today's society, which is in this is not for me, me to try and like be like all oh, you know wish for the old days. Like this is a good thing that this is that how it is now. You cannot do that. Mm-hmm. And people are gonna people are gonna make it make a, a deal out of it. And he is acting like it's not a big deal, but he deserves to lose his job for this. It is bad enough that FIFA has said he needs to resign. Yeah. FIFA. Yeah. Right. You know it's bad when they realize. I mean, if they can't profit off of it, they're you know, then they'll take the high road, so I guess it makes sense. But... Yeah, yeah. They realized it's, it's <laughs> but, toxic to, you know. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's horrifying. It really is. The fact that they're still able to get away with this. We've seen, you know, especially in the past year, just so many incidents, especially in um, lately in the Spanish, you know, leagues and now, what is it, the FA? I don't know if, what they're called exactly, but um, but it's, yeah, it, it's just horrible really to see because I'm glad the Spanish team right after winning a World Cup is is willing to, um, you know, take a stand, more more than a stand. I mean, boycott playing any matches, um, you know, now other people are joining in other, you know, some of the men's players, I think, are doing that as well. Um, so it's good to see that. Um, but, you know, there have been problems with the with with the Spanish women's national team since, you know, even before this, where I think there was a coach that was I, I don't know if he's abusive or, if, or what it exactly was, but, uh, oh, but it's, it's, their, it's their current coach. Right. Fifteen um, players. They refused uh, to play. Struck, struck from the, struck from the team. Mm-hmm. in protest and i think three have defected back and the other 12 didn't play yep and you know and you know it came back against them because they won but you know if they're taking a stand for something greater then you know they have my respect yeah jorge vilda has skeletons in his closet for sure it's a it's an ugly situation over there in spain and it does you just hope that someone can figure out a way to to clean it all up because that's a fantastic talent pool of, of women's players. Uh, we see a lot of them perform really well for Barcelona Femini as well, which is obviously a significantly dominant team in women's football. Yep. Yep. Um, those players deserve a lot more than they have, and it's really, really unfair. Also just deserve to be able to celebrate and not have to deal with a situation like this. So yeah. Imagine how much that would ruin like the best moment of your life. Yeah. Seriously. That poor woman. That and and when the first woman's Ballon d'Or winner was told to I think twerk on stage or something is just just the way they treat them <laughs> in the biggest moment of that of her career as well. It's a pong. It's it really is. Yeah. Long way to go. There's a long way to go. Um but progress needs to be made and hopefully it will be. Yeah. All right, Josh. Thanks for talking to us, Connor. Thank you. Appreciate you joining you. joining us. Uh, to be here, ladies and gentlemen. Ever in between, we will chat with you again later this week with some more predictions. And I'm gonna win this week. I promise. Got it. Later. See ya.